from South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on June 20th, 2023 from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. And we have some programming notes for you. A death in my extended family will take me away from the mic for the next few episodes, so just bear with us there, folks. There will be only one pod for this week, so enjoy it. It's a little longer. Take it in pieces if you need to. And next week, we'll have a This Week in South Carolina crossover episode on Tuesday, but we'll be back with a new episode on Saturday, so stay tuned, folks. We appreciate your help during this time. Also, we are humbly asking our dear leaders to cast your ballots for the lead as the best local podcast and SCETV as best local news in the Columbia Free Times Best of Contest. Yes, this is a critical moment for us, especially because I did win the regional Emmy in Atlanta over the weekend. So we need some big wins to pull me out of this hole that I've been. There are a lot of great people and places to vote for, <coughs> Craft and Draft, but we're coming to you hat in hand asking to you to show us some love. And you can find the link to the Columbia Free Times Best of Ballot in our show notes and online at postandcourier.com slash freetimes. Vote for SC Lead under Local Podcasts and SCETV for TV news coverage. Now, now that we got all that out of the way, this episode features a little campaign trail road trip with Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley, who was in the state this week. We also hear from Senator Tim Scott react to some comments from former President Barack Obama regarding minority Republican candidates. We also officially close out the 2023 legislative session and give AP Statehouse reporter Jeffrey Collins the final take on the session. Always a good take with Jeffrey. We also look at how much COVID has cost South Carolina and look at some national and state economic indicators and hear from Fed Chairman Jerome Powell and his comments about inflation and interest rates. And Scott Morgan has continuing coverage about seniors and loneliness. But we love to hear from not only Fed Chair Jerome Powell, but you, the listener. Folks, 803-563-7169. I've heard from the Fed. They said, Gavin, he can't make public comments on your phone line, but maybe your leaders can instead. So that's that's the mandate from the Fed right there, folks. Give us a shout. 803-563-7169. How are you doing your part to lower inflation? Or are you just... Spending, spending, spending like a good consumer. Let us know. Republican presidential candidate Nikki Haley was on the trail Monday, the Juneteenth holiday, just days after her husband Michael's deployment to support U.S. Africa Command for the next several months as part of a broader SC Army National Guard deployment. Haley held a rally in Monk's Corner Monday afternoon and was invited by the Berkeley Electric Cooperative to stump at the energy provider's headquarters and then participate in a town hall with three co-op executives about energy policy. Her speech was not overly political, but at the end of her remarks, she did get a bit personal about Michael's deployment. But we all need to decide that now is the time, now is the moment. You know, I just dropped my husband off at 4 a.m. this morning for a deployment for a year. And when I dropped him off and you saw those buses, you saw men and women loading up to deploy to protect our freedoms. Because America is the experiment 
that our men and women are willing to fight for. They'll sacrifice for it. Every country wants what we have, but we have to want it. We have to want it as much as those men and women that got on that bus want it. And they need to know we appreciate it. You know, someone asked me why I was running. And I said, my parents came to this country 50 years ago to an America that was strong and proud and full of opportunities. I want them to know that country again. I'm doing this for my husband and his military brothers and sisters. They need to know their sacrifice means something. They need to know that we do appreciate our freedoms, that we do love our country. I'm doing this for my daughter who just got married and I saw how hard it was for her and her husband to buy a home. And I'm doing this for my son who's gonna be a senior in college and I'm watching him write papers of things he doesn't believe in just to get an A. Haley spoke for about 30 minutes in a large garage space on a stage in front of a flatbed truck that had a huge electrical transformer on it. It was quite the, quite the scene there. Also in the audience were dozens of linemen who worked to keep up and repair lines, especially during severe weather, which we have seen over the years in our state, including several major hurricanes and winter storms during Haley's tenure. After her speech, Haley was joined on stage by Mike Fuller, president and CEO of Berkeley Electric Cooperative, Rob Hochstetler, President and CEO of Central Electric Power Cooperative, and Jimmy Statton, President and CEO of Santee Cooper. The four had a brief question and answer about energy policy and Haley's vision for it. The way to handle where we go and what I would do is stop demonizing energy producers. They're the ones that save us. Stop controlling where and when we produce energy. Make sure that we look at the fact that we have to roll back these green subsidies. Companies want to be green on their own. They'll do it. I saw it in South Carolina. They do it even if it meant costing more. They would do it because they wanted to be good stewards of the environment. Let's speed up our permitting for our pipelines. That's hugely important. And let's push off the EPA from overregulation. When you start doing those types of things, Everyone wins. Industry wins, families win, our country wins, and the, our enemies are upset. That's when you know that's a winning combination. This energy-related speech from Haley came after her visit earlier this month to the Permian Basin in Texas, where she also held a press conference in front of an oil rig as she discussed the need for clean, safe, and environmentally friendly energy, but also criticized the Biden administration for canceling oil and gas projects when America needs consistency and predictability when it comes to energy. Sticking with Haley, the former U.S. UN ambassador also wrote out her Iowa leadership team last week. According to the Des Moines Register, Haley has signed up Bill Mackey to be her political advisor in Iowa. Mackey was previously a campaign manager for Iowa 3rd Congressional District Republican Zach Nunn. Other members of her leadership team include Iowa State Senator Chris Cornoyer, Iowa State Representative Austin Harris, Don Roberts, a former Polk County GOP chair and Iowa Secretary of State nominee, and Emily Suckup Schmidt, a business leader, mother, and community leader. So Haley got her team on the ground there in Iowa. Now, like many other candidates, she sees herself a bit more of an Iowa type than a New Hampshire type. Iowa over the years has pivoted hard to the Republican side, and Haley counts Governor Kim Reynolds as a close friend though Reynolds is not endorsing anyone in this race, but the two are seen together and they're very close, as I've seen before on the trail in Iowa. Now, Real Clear Politics' average of polls puts Haley in third with 4.7% in the Hawkeye State, behind Florida Governor Ron DeSantis with 25% and 
and former President Donald Trump at 46%. Again, those are averages of polls. And Barack Obama has entered the 2024 chat. That's right, we're pivoting to someone we haven't heard much from. And last week, the former president was on the Axe Files podcast, hosted by his former senior advisor, David Axelrod, where former President Obama said this about Senator Tim Scott and Nikki Haley. I haven't spent a lot of time studying Tim Scott's speeches. I think there is a long history of African-American or other minority candidates within the Republican Party who will validate America and say, everything's great and we can all make it. I mean, Nikki Haley, I think, has a similar mm-hmm. approach. She does, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. You know, look at me. I'm an Asian, Asian uh, Indian American woman. And my family came here and we worked hard. Clarence Thomas has probably gave the same speech at some point, mm-hmm. uh, guarantee in some commencement, as did Alan Keyes, the first guy that I ran against. Yeah. I don't think it's a, and I, look, I'm not being cynical about Tim Scott individually. I am maybe suggesting that the rhetoric of can't we all get along and the quotes you made about, uh, you know, from my speech in mm-hmm. 2004 about there's a United States of America, that has to be undergirded with an honest accounting of our past and our present. And so if a Republican who may even be sincere in saying, I mm-hmm. want us all to live together, doesn't have a plan for how do we address crippling generational poverty that is a consequence of hundreds of years of racism in the society, and we need to do something about that. If that candidate is not willing to acknowledge that again and again we've seen discrimination in everything from job practice, you know, getting a job to buying a house to how the criminal justice system operates. Senator Scott was on Fox News Sunday with Shannon Bream, where he had this response. There's no higher compliment to be attacked by President Obama. When they, whenever the Democrats feel threatened, they, they pull out, drag out the former president and have him make some negative comments about someone running, hoping that their numbers go down. Here is what people need to know. The truth of my life disproves the lies of the radical left. You talk about addressing the issue of poverty. My opportunity zones have seen more than $50 billion go into the poorest, hardest hit communities in this country. The majority of them are minority. Think about the HBCU funding that in his administration, he totally missed it. We took the funding for HBCUs to the highest level in the history of the country. And then Shannon, we made it permanent. And the radical left and the teachers unions refused to allow quality education in big blue cities. I support school choice because I support common sense. The radical left and President Obama, they have failed, they have failed, and they have failed. We will make it happen. Under Scott, under my administration, we will make sure The kids have quality education in every single zip code. We'll work on Opportunity Zones 2.0 to make sure that we bring more resources, more opportunities, and more jobs to the hardest hit areas, whether that's rural Iowa or inner city Chicago. There is a way for us to alleviate poverty, not by race, 
but by the statistics themselves. That's what America stands for. And if anyone should be standing and shouting at the mountaintops that America is not a racist country, it should be the man that Americans supported twice for the nomination and becoming president. The evolution of America is palpable. Progress in this nation, undeniable. Tim Scott is one of only three black senators in the upper chamber and the only Republican. Nikki Haley, who is of Indian descent, tweeted Obama, quote, set minorities back by singling them out as victims instead of empowering them. In America, hard work and personal responsibility matter. My parents didn't raise me to think I would forever be a victim. They raised me to know that I was responsible for my success, quote. So let's take a break from the campaign trail and really put a button on the legislative session Yes, we heard from House leadership last week at the finale of this rare special session with lawmakers meeting several times post sine die at the behest, specifically executive order, of the governor to get their budget and other priorities done into his desk. Did you get that? Because I'm not saying again, you guys that listen at one times two speed plus five. Well, they did that last week. And to cap it all off, I spoke with Jeffrey Collins, statehouse reporter with the Associated Press, about the session. Jeffrey is one of the longer-serving reporters in the press corps, and I opened by asking him this about the budget process. Here's part of our conversation from this week in South Carolina. Uh, the last time we talked, Gavin, I was like, yeah, they'll have that budget deal done next week. Oops. Um, but it was an in, but they did get it done and it did get done before the July 1st deadline for the new physical year to start. Um, the the big sticking point, oddly enough, in a $13 billion budget was $100 million roughly to uh, get off the ground, a new veterinary school at Clemson University. And, you know, basically they didn't negotiate for a couple of weeks, according to uh, Senate Finance Committee, you know, Chairman Harvey Peeler. They just didn't talk. And um, it all spilled over at a meeting last week where, you know, there were lots of uh, spicy allegations thrown. I mean, the most uh, the one that made the most news was probably uh, House Minority Leader Todd Rutherford saying that uh, the House was concerned with the higher ed and the Senate was concerned with Mr. Ed. So that was and, and you know that that made the big news. But I mean, on the other side of things, Harvey Peeler, you know, the Senate Finance Committee chairman came out and told his House counterparts that the Speaker of the House can't be the Speaker of the Senate, too. So, I mean, there was a you know, we're all watching that going, whoa, I mean, that's that's one of the more testy exchanges. Typically, they don't get personal. But, you know, funny thing is they, they met the next day. Merle Smith, the Speaker of the House, got in the meeting with Harvey Peeler and with House Ways and Means Chairman Bruce Banster and. They worked it out. I mean, it's a $13 billion budget. Pretty much everyone got their wish list set, including, in fact, some earmarks for lawmakers. There's a lot of those local projects like downtown revitalizations, parks, stuff like that. Uh, but again, talking about House Speaker Merle Smith, talking about first, it was his first year as Speaker of the 124-member House Chamber there. And a lot of big uh, things got crossed off his list, talking about school vouchers, abortion, uh, the shield law, fentanyl trafficking, bond reform, anti-CRT bills, economic development you're talking about. So a lot of big issues for Republicans and actually some bipartisan issues there uh, that everyone kind of benefits from. So Jeffrey, maybe what stood out to you as some of the big moments from this first year of the two-year session? Certainly, we were paying very close attention to how the House would operate under the new speaker. And, you know, there was a big deal made, and in, in, in some ways legitimately so, about the Freedom Caucus, that group of the far-right conservatives that are joining together that feel like the current Republican Party is too liberal or doesn't take all the Republican ideals to heart. And um, what they see is Republican ideals should say. And so, you know, the interesting thing is we made a lot out of that, but in the end, they didn't cause a whole lot of 
they didn't gum up the works very much at all this year. I mean, basically, you know, Speaker Smith talked to reporters yesterday after things wrapped up. And one of the questions was, well, what didn't you accomplish? What did you what did you not get done that you wanted to get done? And he thought for a second. He's a thoughtful guy and said, I can't think of anything. If I think of anything, I'll let you know. And I mean, you know, I thought about it, too. I mean, he met most of his goals. Ultimately, there's a couple of things left hanging out there, but it's not because the House didn't pass it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it seemed like that being said, though, you know, you have to Merle Smith has a little bit of an advantage. I mean, he's got 88 Republicans in 124 member chamber. I mean, former Speaker David Wilkins probably in his quiet moments daydreams about that and wishes he had that kind of thing back in the early 2000s and thinks about what he could have done. I mean, you know, ultimately, as long as as long as he can keep Republicans together and, and you know, you mentioned this a little bit later, there's there's some the two, 2024 elections will be very interesting to see if how how well he can keep this Republican coalition together that likes him a lot and not let the ultra right side grow very much. But mm-hmm. I mean, Merle Smith had a pretty successful first session, I think, all put together. Thanks, as always, to Jeffrey. And you can catch that full episode on YouTube.com slash South Carolina ETV. And another programming note, this week's This Week in South Carolina is our last before our summer hiatus. We'll have plenty of goodies for you after Labor Day when the primary season ramps up even more. We'll be back after Labor Day on Twisk. And on the way out of this section, let's look at the cost of COVID in South Carolina. Yes, 20,311 South Carolinians have died from the virus since early 2020 when it first arrived in our state. And residents unfortunately continue to die, including 10 people for the week ending June 10th. In addition to the personal cost, the fiscal cost is also extraordinary. Documents from DHEC and the agenda for the Joint Bomb Review Committee show just how much was spent and how much the state and federal funding remains and how much is expiring soon. Let's break down some numbers here. Since the onset of the pandemic, DHEC has reported $877 million has been spent of $1.168 billion in federal and state funding for pandemic-related purposes. As of May 31st, there remained approximately $375 million and $97 million in unspent federal and state funding, respectively. Of the amount remaining, $27.6 million of the federal funding and none of the state funding has expired. All of the federal funds are specifically designated and have limited potential for redirection there. Also, the Federal Fiscal Responsibility Act of 2023 includes provisions to rescind unused funds appropriated during the COVID-19 pandemic. So we're going to see some of that money go back to the federal government at some point, especially those expired funds. DHEC also said that its website will be archiving the COVID-19 data and dashboards and will only display the COVID-19 vaccination by population graphic moving forward. This transition comes pursuant to recent updates in the state reporting requirements and guidance by the CDC following the May 11th expiration of the public health emergency. While the majority of COVID-19 data elements will not be public-facing after June 30th, DHEC will continue to closely monitor COVID-19 and reactivate these products should the need arise. As we said earlier, as of May 30th, DHEC has expended some $877 million in state and federal funds in response to COVID-19 since early 2020. The bulk of that, $417 million, that went toward testing efforts. And on the way out, some SE 2024 events of note this week. Senator Tim Scott will be on Fox News' Town Hall tonight, Tuesday, June 20th, from Myrtle Beach with Sean Hannity. And Florida Governor Ron DeSantis will be in South Carolina on Thursday and North Augusta on his way up to Washington, where on Friday, he and several other major Republican presidential candidates will participate in the Faith and Freedom Coalition's Road to Majority Policy Conference.
Let's get a little bit of an economic update for y'all right now, okay? A little break. Let's talk about numbers after we do the numbers. Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell announced last week that the Federal Open Market Committee would not be raising interest rates for the first time in 15 months. Thank you, Chair Powell. He's been listening to our letters, but not calling the hotline per Fed law. Now, this break is to let the economy absorb that 5 to 5.25% interest rate hikes over the past 15 months and to prevent a credit crunch following the collapse of two banks earlier this year. Uh, yeah. Remember Silicon Valley Bank or Signature Bank? Yeah. Short memories, guys. I never forget. Now, here's what Powell had to say about the rate decision and that still tight labor market. We've covered a lot of ground, and the full effects of our tightening have yet to be felt. In light of how far we've come in tightening policy, the uncertain lags with which monetary policy affects the economy, and potential headwinds from credit tightening, today we decided to leave our policy interest rate unchanged and to continue to reduce our securities holdings. Looking ahead, nearly all committee participants view it as likely that some further rate increases will be appropriate this year to bring inflation down to 2% over time. The labor market remains very tight. Over the past three months, payroll job gains averaged a robust 283,000 jobs per month. The unemployment rate moved up but remained low in May at 3.7%. There are some signs that supply and demand in the labor market are coming into better balance. The labor force participation rate has moved up in recent months, particularly for individuals aged 25 to 54 years. Nominal wage growth has shown signs of easing, and job vacancies have declined so far this year. While the jobs to workers gap has declined, labor demand still substantially exceeds the supply of available workers. FOMC participants expect supply and demand conditions in the labor market to come into better balance over time, easing upward pressures on inflation. That was Federal Reserve Chairman Jerome Powell on June 14th. Now, rates still remain at their highest level in 16 years, but like you heard, the Fed's 18 policymakers do expect to nudge rates up by half a percent before the end of the year. So stay tuned for that. Part of the inflation issue remains the still hot labor market. And in South Carolina, it's hot, hot, hot. Famously hot. (laughs) South Carolina's labor market's famously hot, specifically in Columbia. The unemployment rate did inch up last month nationwide to 3.7%. But here in famously hot South Carolina, it held steady at 3.1%. SC Department of Employment and Workforce Executive Director William Floyd said in a statement, quote, The number of people working in South Carolina is higher than ever before, growing in May by more than 14,000 individuals to hit another record of over 2.3 million. The ongoing expansion of our labor force is definitely encouraging news and helps support South Carolina's businesses. Even more employees are needed, so every day do focuses on workforce development and connects job seekers with great jobs in our growing economy, quote. The top three industries that reported the biggest job gains in May were leisure and hospitality, education and health services, and finance, totaling some 6,700 jobs. Government and manufacturing saw the biggest declines, totaling 2,100 jobs. The average hourly earnings in our state continues to hover around $29 an hour, just some food for thought there as you think about maybe renegotiating your salary. (laughs) And finally in our podcast, South Carolina Public Radio's Scott Morgan has this follow-up report on social isolation among South Carolina seniors. A new report from the South Carolina Institute of Medicine and Public Health in partnership with the State Department on Aging 
found among South Carolinians aged 65 and older that 37% live alone, which is on par with the national average. 35% live with a disability, which is slightly higher than the national average, and 1 in 10 live in poverty, again, also slightly above the national average. Scott caught up with some South Carolina seniors to get their reaction to the report. For South Carolina Public Radio, I'm Scott Morgan. And I hate to be the one to tell you this, but you might be more isolated than you think you are. I went from working in the public school system, middle-level middle administration, managing arts and PE and special projects to zero work. It wasn't going from 60 to zero for Ginny Carty. It was a much more high-speed crash. I went from 600 to zero. Her life as she had lived it for decades was, thanks to some health problems that compelled her to retire, gone. And with it, her sense of self. What I realized is so much of my life had been tied up in what I did instead of who I am. And that's how isolation gets you as you age. You're living your life, going to work, wrapped up in your job so tightly that it's the first thing you use to describe yourself. And then your career is over. And you find out all those people, all those years, all those dreadful office parties, they were your social circle. So you talk about like, whoa. The sudden loss of Cartier's social infrastructure was hard enough. But remember, the reason she lost it so suddenly was because her health had abruptly changed. What I had just taken for granted, just being physically fit, I remember thinking that my body had basically abandoned me. I think when folks leave the workforce, that that could be the beginning of a life that has social isolation as a factor. But losing your coworkers, even your sense of purpose, is just the start, says Maya Pack, executive director of the South Carolina Institute of Medicine and Public Health. As people age, they're more likely to have their spouse and friends pass away. They're more likely to have chronic health conditions that provide barriers for mobility and other ways of accessing and nurturing their relationships. Yeah, let's talk about relationships. New ones are a lot easier to make when you're young and everybody's crammed into the same classrooms and summer camps as you. But as you age, it gets tougher and tougher to break into existing social groups. And that, says Prisma Health social worker Vivian Moore, carries over when folks move into senior living situations. I hear that from patients, that even moving into a retirement community, they'll say, you know, that everybody already has those established friends already set up. And how do you even maneuver and make those friends and move forward? So no, it's not just you if you're feeling like you can't get anywhere with new people. It's just not easy to make connections as an older adult, even when you're volunteering to go out and meet people where they are. Once a week, I do Meals on Wheels. And me and my buddy, we know when we get to certain houses, they're waiting on us. It took a pandemic for Ken Baxter to realize how important social connections were. Like Jenny Cartier, Baxter is a former educator, and his rather fruitful social life as a retiree ground to nothing when COVID hit. No church meetings, no golf with the boys, and a wife who got sidelined by the virus. And so it was this profound loss of social connection that made Ken Baxter notice something on one of those Meals on Wheels runs he'd always just been trying to get through. When I get to that person's house, they at the front porch, they talk to me. The whole time I'm coming up to their steps, the whole time I'm laying the package down, they want me back to my car talking to me. So after I figure that out, I take my time. I talk to them. We chat about stuff. And they look forward to me coming, and I realize those three people, I'm probably it for the day. It just made my heart do flip-flops, knowing that people 
wanted to see me that much to talk to me because they wanted that human contact. Maya Pack says the pandemic brought the seriousness of social isolation among older adults to the fore. And now that we're talking about it, she hopes you reach out to someone who might just be waiting on you to be their human connection. Thanks there again to Scott Morgan for that report, which you can find along with his insightful podcast, Indebted, about the ecosystem of debt in our state on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. Welcome to the wind down section, our little break from the news, and we're glad you're here. Not only am I glad that A.T. Shire, producer of the podcast, Thank is you. here, yes, yes, yes. but A.T., we have someone else here with us. Oh my goodness. We've been teasing this for a while, but yes, we do. I'm not the only one with Gavin here. Mayon Schechter, oh, yeah. South Carolina Public Radio's newest reporter, oh. is here with us in studio oh. on the lead wind down. Mayon, oh. welcome back. You've been on the other side of the microphone figuratively. Now you're on our side of the microphone. It's so good to be here. Oh, oh Listen to that radio voice, folks. Already. Already radio voiced ready. Anyway. <laughs> just I've been speaking, practicing only every day, every night <laughs> before just bed. Speaking into How the are mirror. You gonna say it? Are you going to go, Mayon Schechter, South yeah. Carolina <laughs> Public Radio? That is a fantastic question. My family has asked that same question. I just want it to be a surprise. Everyone <laughs> It'll come to you. be surprised. Right. It'll come to you. It'll hit me one day. Okay. Well, one thing, you got to think on your feet. We get calls here and you got to react to them. Okay. okay. Live fire. We all have not heard this before. First time caller, says on the transcript. Mm. So let's go, Gavin. Are you ready? Yes. Mayan, are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, here we go. Hey, Gavin and AT. This is Jesse calling from the Low Country. Um, been listening to the lead since 2020. Shame to say that I am a first time caller here in 2023, but I was really inspired by your last recommendations for restaurants down in Charleston since I'm living in the area. But I want to take the conversation in a different direction because I'm going to be in Columbia for business in a couple of weeks. I would love to know some restaurant recommendations that you guys I'm visiting Columbia one time, probably never going to come back, just going to stay in Charleston, no shade there, just the truth of it. And yeah, what do you guys recommend? And probably no hot dogs because whenever I brought up the is a hot dog a sandwich debate, it almost ended my marriage with my wife. So no hot dog recommendations, but any other dinner recommendations you've got while I'm visiting Columbia would be appreciated. Really appreciate what you guys do on the lead. Love the uh, news that you get. And you know, politics drives me insane. By the time we get to the end of the wind down section, I've regained my sanity. So I'll keep listening for now. Thanks. Jesse from the Low Country. What a beautiful little voice message what a good there. Call. He like knocked out everything and uh, perfect time. Very eloquent. Uh, 2020 listener. I feel like we have a lot of folks that really jumped on the bandwagon back yeah. in 2020 with the, the COVID. We were doing three episodes a it week. Was oh disgusting. Yeah, it, it was disgusting. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> it was sad. unhealthy. Yeah, um, but Columbia, he's going to be here in Columbia. Says he'll never be back. He's talking like a Charleston. I don't, need, I don't go yeah. above Broad Street. It's already like, I'm, I stay south. Uh, no, like, so I think the reputations of both Columbia and Charleston. They're hard. They're... There, there's somewhere in the middle where Charleston is not as good as everyone says it is, and Columbia is not as bad as everyone we'll says it that. is. We'll okay. Um, so as far as recommendations, like we got it, we got you got to hit craft and draft, right? <laughs> Full disclosure. Full disclosure. wife owns it. My wife owns it. Uh, <laughs> but you do have to hit it. Uh, I'll, I'll probably be there, and if you let us know, Gavin will show up too. It's part of my contract. <laughs> yes, he has a, a lot of appearances. Uh, Mayan, where where would you recommend someone go out to dinner here mm. in Columbia? I'm a big fan of Lula Drake. Mm -hmm. I love a good wine bar, and they have some excellent pasta dishes. Yep. 
And I also really like Transmission. I probably yeah. spend Ooh, a snaps. lot of money there. Snaps, yeah. I mean, I think it's still one of those underrated restaurant bars in, in Colombia. I, I love mean, it. great cocktails, really good food, good people. Mm-hmm. I love that place. My friend Cam owns it. Cam, he's a caller on this show. Full he's, disclosure, he's Cam li- listens to this show. He's lived in my basement. <laughs> um <laughs> But no, yeah, it's a great spot. I mean, just great bar food, too. Yes, and it's it's a great be selection. Food. And the arcade is just there if you need a little something else to do. They have a cabinet that's like half Simpsons, half Ninja Turtles, half Mortal Kombat. Mm. And you're like, that's three halves. Don't question it. Okay? But it's good. All <laughs> Sounds right? like where you could live, AT, in a little cabinet. <laughs> Wait, do you live there, actually? I don't live there, okay? Because I have a basement and people live in it. Um, uh, last night, before my after Mayan's first day of work, I saw her at Bar Grand Sasso. That's, That's so a true. great recommendation. That was five so points. good. I so would good. recommend that strongly. My friend Joe runs it. He is from Long Island, slamming out real good Italian food. Mm-hmm. That's a great wreck. I need to go there. I have not gone there Gavin, yet. Gavin is struggling with wrecks. Where, where, <laughs> what, would you, what would you say? Um, uh, I mean, there's always bourbon. Bourbon's a solid on Main Street, of course. If you don't want to eat there, then like the cocktail lounge next door is also wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if you're going out, Joe, which, Jesse, I should say, uh, maybe not if your wife's not in town with you, but of course, <laughs> you know, you'd be going to Tin Roof for a good old time. Oh my. Now, that's our brunch spot that we're talking about there, of course, because they have, you can get a bucket. That's Gavin's, you know, Gavin's good time recommendation. Also, if Hen- Hendrick's rooftop bar, Hendrix, fun time. I would it's nice say outside. You're trying to wine and dine the wife. The, yeah, Hendrix. I don't is, think she's coming, but if he's oh, in town for just, business. But I'm just saying, if, if she were to, Hendrix you know, is, to, to reignite their marriage, which could end at any moment based on our conversation. I love that. Down. I love the effects of the stupid stuff that our I talk relationship about. is always on the verge of breaking based on these <laughs> it's conversations. It's part of the AT. show. It's part of it's the show. Where we get our creativity. Uh, Hendrix is a great call, Gavin. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Jesse, let us know. Hit some of those spots. Yeah. Let us know when you're going to be in town. I'll hang yeah. out. Like, I don't, we'll I don't care. Uh, so uh, let's, moving on. Let's get to Mayan. Back She's to Mayan. Right. Okay? I mean, obviously. Here she Thank is. You Mayan, you are now working in the illustrious South Carolina Public Radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have your own office. Oh, my God. You're, you, it's amazing. Yeah. What, what's, what's the biggest culture shock getting in here? Hmm? The office. Yeah? I, I've never had a door. Mm-hmm. That's huge. <laughs> not, that, not that I would ever use it ever on you. Open door policy. Yeah. Yeah. Anybody can come in. (laughs) You Um, have office hours. So much storage. (laughs) Which a girl loves. Yeah. (laughs) Loves some storage. No, it's great. I mean, I've known you guys for a long time. Mm -hmm. Russ, um, several others, and heard everybody else's voices on the radio or Mm -hmm. seen them on TV. So it's really awesome to get to see everybody in person and talk to them like, you know, we've been colleagues for for forever. Mm -hmm. Isn't it the quality time getting with Russ, the Russ McKinney. Oh, of course. Half the job is going to be well, talking in the office. You know, most of the time I always saw him at the state house. Mm-hmm. It's nice. It's nice to have some <laughs> other options of, of where to see him. And uh, we've already we've already gotten our little gossip sessions in <laughs> over the past twenty four hours. That's so a big part of the job. We've, we've really actually job, yeah. we've hit our quota for the week. So <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a, a, a change of pace. But Mayan, give people a little idea about where your background is, because it's always newspapers, and now here we are, public radio, radio in general. I Media. mean, that's got to be quite the change for you. So it where'd is. you come from? How'd you get here? Sure. So actually, June um, marks my 10 years of living and working here in the state of South yeah. Carolina. Oh, yes. Big deal. So I grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. I Correct. went to school in Asheville, North Carolina. Correct. Uh, what? <laughs> 
wasn't sure what I was going to do with my life, considered law school. I know. And then I looked at how much it costs and I said, nope, I'll take the cheaper option. Um, But I grew up in this business and I wanted to uh, continue in my parents' footsteps in journalism. So I moved to South Carolina, had uh, been here last as a baby, I believe, (laughs) and lived in Aiken, covered local government, crime, general assignment stuff uh, for the Aiken Standard for about three and a half years. Went to the Greenville News, covered business there and the county council, Mm, and then moved to Columbia in 2017, covering Mm. the state house and had been there for the last five and a half ish years where I was both uh, a budget reporter at some point, then kind of a uh, sort of a general politics reporter. And then I was the editor of the state house and politics team for almost two years. What a resume. I know. Truly, I mean, Thank Gavin you. introduced me to like the behind the scenes news world of here. And um, you have always been a fixture of it for me. Oh, yeah. my gosh. And That's so, such an so honor. for you to be working two doors down from me now uh-huh. is, is crazy for me. And personally, I'm I gl- I'm love that you're here. Thank I, you. Caitlin wants to go uh, ha- do happy hours with, with oh, you. Oh, down. Are the buckets there? <laughs> Will there be buckets? Big bu- oh, pro yeah, bucket. Pro bucket. We had Gavin happy hours with her pro buckets. buckets. Maybe we can have buckets. <laughs> so uh, I'm so happy you're here. Uh, hopefully. You. I mean, Caitlin could have had drinks with Maya on any time. I know. She feels much more comfortable now. Okay. <laughs> we, we, we know each other so much better. It's a journey. She's got an in now. <laughs> anyway, Maya, like thank you. Thank you for being here. I'm sure our listeners are going to hear a lot more from you. Yes. Uh, we have the Scott Morgan section on the show. Now we'll have the Mayan Schechter section. Oh, wow. Thank you. Uh, yes. And so uh, anyway, Gavin, do the outro, please. That's okay. enough. Okay, wonderful, again, to hear from people like Jesse on our program, to hear from Mayan, who's work, working here now with us at South Carolina Public Radio. And you could also leave us a message like Jesse did at 803-563-7169 or a review on Apple Podcasts. And again, you can always stay up to date with the latest news on SCTV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. That mimosa bus- bucket? Yeah. I want that mimosa bucket. You get the bucket. whole bottle in the bucket. <laughs> now, is it on? It's included. But it's like you don't get that. Like no one else does that right. in Columbia, which is frustrating. Where it's can like, I get a bucket? 